0: Welcome again to Marine Covenant Church. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm delighted to be with you. Welcome on for our online people. Super fun that we are all together. Well, it is Christmas and... Um, it's that time, I don't know if about you, but if you get asked, um, what do you want for Christmas? Grandparents love asking their, their, uh, their grandchildren, what do you want for Christmas? And, and there's always like in our family, no one wants to say what they want for Christmas. Um, but we, have, uh, we actually have a little bit of Christmas happening this morning. So last night you were given a box. Check this bad boy out. Woo, is that thing awesome? That is nicer than anything under our tree, um, at least right now. So there it is, a Starry Night box. And what happens when you open it up, There is all of these goodies inside. And Kay said you got week one uh, already, but this is the second week of Advent. In the second week of Advent, you got a bag like this. And in here, there's all sorts of stuff. There's candles uh, so you can make your wreath and apparently instructions, Danny. So this is awesome. Um, There's instructions. In fact, I found that this morning. The Advent wreath instructions are right there. There's um, a devotion in that as well. And, but there's also my favorite part. Oh, there's glitter. So sorry, parents, because um, there's, there's a sheep uh, project making there. And like Pastor Jeff, you too can be uh, walk around with the sheep apparently and have glitter everywhere. But th- the highlight is the present. Look at this. We actually have a present. I don't know about you, but there's this incredible dopamine hit that happens when you get to unwrap something. And so if you are at home and you opened up um, number two, the bag, you pull out your present, let's open up this present together and see what sort of present we have in store for us. Oh, yeah. Look at this. It is a beautiful sheet of paper with a list and a candy cane pen. And it's the Christmas season. So you know what this list is supposed to be full of, right? The things that you want for Christmas. And how generous is our children's ministry team? Three. Oh, I guess it's for everyone in your family. I'm like, 30 things. This is awesome. Yeah, that's probably for everyone in your family. Okay, I'm figuring it out. Okay, there you go. Well, so I want you to think about what do you want for Christmas? Write those things down and, uh, and hold on to that. Well, like I said, it's, it's hard when your parents say, what do you want for Christmas? When you're little, you're like, you know everything. As you get older, you don't really want to say, I want this $10,000 item, because then you'll be judged. And so you end up saying things like my son, like I just want an iPhone adapter, like a $7 thing. So that's great. That's what we're getting him. Um, but when I was in high school, 1990, the number one gift were Furbies, you remember these things? And so I'm like, I want a Furby. No one could get a Furby back in 1990. Nile, they're everywhere. But in 1990, you had to fight other moms to get them. And so I thought, that's what I want, I want a Furby. I thought I was being such a punk. And so my mom's like, all right. And unbeknownst to me, I guess she fought like two people at Target. And on Christmas morning, I opened up the Furby and I'm like, I can't believe I had a Furby. And like, it went to me with college. It was in my office. My first pastor job had a Furby because I loved my Furby. I couldn't believe it. I was part of the inner sanctum. But what's interesting is everything that we have, all these wants that we have, um, boy, they're so, they're satisfied. They're satisfied so easily, right? A 30 minute commercial, um, opening the present, having a Furby like, oh, that's nice. And wanting really is the fluff. It's like the, the meringue of the true substance. And it's pointing us to a deeper reality. And the deeper reality that wanting is pointing us toward is this idea of longing. And that's why I want to spend a little time this morning talking about, that we, um, that we are people who long. We long for beauty, we long for love, we long for justice. Um, when you think of longing, I mean, wanting is something that gets satisfied right immediately. Longing is something that's in our bones. Like I remember being in college, dating Katie, she lived 10 hours away and all week long, I longed for the weekend. I didn't mind driving 10 hours right, to go see her so maybe we could make out for a little bit. I'm like, this is perfect. I longed right to be with her. Um, but what's interesting is about longing there's also a shadow side, right? The more we suffer, the more there's grief, the more there's hardship. Longing actually becomes this visceral, deep down thing. And because we, long, we don't really long, not only do we long for joy and love, but we long for hope, we long for relief, we long for care, we long for justice. In the biblical sense, what we long for is we're longing for all the wrongs to be made right. And like I mentioned earlier, um, for that for the song, I love artists and I love poets. My mom, she's an incredible poet, and they because they, right, I, I know what I want, I can articulate something. But I'm like a, basically a knuckle dragger. I'm an ogre, and I don't know how to communicate. I don't know how to express the things that are happening in my heart. And so, artists and musicians and poets do those things for us. And what I love about Scripture is so much of Scripture is actually written in poetry. It's written in prose. It's written in the language of the artist to help understand what's happening in our heart. And you have to understand, since day two of creation, or day two since the beginning of, human, of humanity, um, we have been longing, right? Since day two, we have sinned, we have been bro- we broke the world we've been causing violence and death and destruction to everyone and to everything and from day 2 we are like oh my gosh lord please have mercy on us please find a way to make the wrongs right well in genesis in the book of genesis right finally god picks abraham and says okay abraham you are going to be my person You're going to be the person who's going to have this family, who's going to be a blessing to the nations. You are going to bless, not just your family, but you're going to bless all nations. And Abraham was super pumped about that. But like all families, like all family histories, right? The story of God's people ended, they ended up in um, Egypt and they ended up as slaves. And for over 400 years, they cried out to God, longing to be rescued. And sure enough, God rescued them. And like true humans, they forgot how great God was and turned to their own sin and their own rebellion and caused more and more death and destruction. Um, And all the Old Testament is the people of God, loving God and turning back from God, loving God, turning back from God, kind of like your own journal entries, right? It's exactly the same. Well, after uh, King Saul and then King David and King Solomon, right, um, that was like the high point of the, of the kingdom of Israel. There was this huge division, this big family dysfunction, and the kingdom of Israel splits into two. And it's the northern kingdom is the kingdom of Israel, the lower kingdom is the kingdom of, of Judea. And about 750 um, BCE, right, the mid-eighth mid, mid century, um, the prophet Isaiah shows up on the scene. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. And I don't know about you, have any of you guys read the book of Isaiah? A couple of you. Like, I'm a pastor, I've read it like three or four times. I hate Isaiah. It's 66 chapters of what in the world is going on. And uh, and like I said, I'm a knuckle dragger, and all this prose, 66 chapters of it, it makes... No sense to me. But thankfully, there's artists and there's beautiful people and smart people who could help me understand And so I'm going to help those of you who struggle going, "What in the world do you do with Isaiah?" Because we have to get all the way to chapter 61. And so this is what happens. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah shows up on the scene, and the kingdom of Israel, is, I mean, is divided. right There's Israel north, Judah in the south, like I said, and there's this kingdom of Assyria, and they're coming down, getting ready to attack um, Israel up in the north. And Isaiah is in the south, and he's saying, "Listen. Israel, you guys are in trouble. You have been rebellious jerks. You were supposed to be God's people. You're supposed to be a light to the nations. You're supposed to be a blessing to the nations. And instead, you've taken your status as God's people and you've actually abused people, abused the kingdom of God. And so there is judgment coming. And he's saying this to Israel and Assyria is coming and entering the scene. And sure enough, Israel comes in and wipes out Israel. He's like, see, I told you. And, is, and those guys like whatever to Israel. But then he says to Judah, Judah, listen, You saw what happened to Israel. That's going to happen to you. You think you're so much better than Israel and God protected you. But no, you were just as rebellious, just as wicked. And in fact, there's going to be a bigger kingdom that's going to come and wipe you out. And so in the middle part of Isaiah, he starts telling, starts prophesying that there's going to be a kingdom from the north, farther away from Assyria, the Babylonians. And they're going to come in. And sure enough, the Babylonians, they wipe out the Assyrians. They wipe out the rest of Judea. And then they enter into Israel and they wipe out Jerusalem. And what happens is in about 500 BCE, they go and they take these exiles. They wipe out all of Jerusalem. They, take, they leave all of like the, the remnant, this remnant group of riffraff and take all the noble, smart, wise people and they send them off to exile into Babylon. And the book of Isaiah, it's just this prose and poetry, 66 chapters of all of this longing of recognizing that we are called to be God's people. We are made in the image of God. We are identified with Him. And yet we've failed in our calling and there's judgment and judgment produces pain and suffering and grief and sorrow. At the end of Isaiah, which is where all the good verses are, is we love those because those are the verses about hope. Because God doesn't just wipe out His people. He's not just this mean parent who just excommunicates his kid out of the family forever. There is discipline, there is punishment, but there's always hope for restoration And God longs for the people of Israel to recognize that there is a way forward. And so in the book of Isaiah, for the second half, and especially in verse 61, God begins to paint the picture through the prophet Isaiah of what this new leader, this new servant, this new Messiah who is going to come and rescue Israel Now, the people then thought they were going to rescue them from from exile, but it's a picture, and sure enough, God did rescue them from exile, and that's why Isaiah is one of the most incredible prophets, because he prophesied all these things 200 years before they came to pass, and so they were waiting for this to happen, but we know further back in history that this isn't just a hope for restoration from exile then, but for exile and suffering now. So turn me to Isaiah chapter 61, starting in verse 1. Isaiah Isaiah says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness for the, for the prisoners, excuse me, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. And what's so interesting is this is such good news that that there's going to be this Messiah. There's going to be this anointed one that the spirit of the Lord is going to come on, that he's going to have this power and this purpose. And his purpose is to run after the poor and the marginalized, the oppressed, the prisoners. And what's so funny, the people of God thought, we're the special people. But once they became insular and only cared about the special people, God was just brokenhearted because God's people are supposed to be a light to the nations, so when he says to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, these are all people that are outside of the temple, outside of the, the people of God. And the Messiah is gonna come and remind God's people that that is where the kingdom of God is to go. As I was studying this week, I found this commentator who, who summed it up this way. It's so beautiful. It says this, Through the suffering servant, the king will make a covenant family of all nations with hope for a renewed creation. Let me read that one more time. Through the suffering servant, the king will make a covenant family of all nations with hope for a renewed creation. God's servant is the one who's gonna fulfill God's mission to restore the people of Israel back to their God to be a light to the nations. And that's really what our longing is, that we are these people of God that we're experiencing challenge or experiencing suffering, maybe even some of God's discipline. But the truth is that God does not leave us here, that God longs to invite us into hope, to know that there's a coming savior, a coming Messiah, who's going to come with all the power and all the purpose. Well, 500 years after this prophecy came to to be fulfilled, Jesus shows up on the scene right? So Jesus is born and getting ready to be born. That's what the Christmas season is all about. But as, he's, as he becomes 30 years old, right? He goes and he's baptized and the, the Holy Spirit falls on him. And he's affirmed that he's God's son who's well-pleased. And then immediately he goes in the desert to be tempted. And then as he leaves the desert, he goes straight back to Nazareth, to his hometown, to begin his official ministry. And so here we find in John chapter, I mean, sorry, in Luke chapter four, verses 16, um, it begins this, this, this account. So Jesus goes to Nazareth um, where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as it was his custom and he stood up and read. And so now the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. So it happened in the synagogue, there would be readings that they would read from the Torah and then they would read from the prophets afterwards. But usually there was a, a portion that you were supposed to read and Jesus, you know, because he was just, just a king, right? He just goes, hold on, everybody. And he finds in the scroll, this passage in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 61. And everyone's kind of looking at him like, what are you doing? And he begins to read in Hebrew and then translate in Aramaic. And because I don't speak either in English, and it says this, The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and a recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant and sits down and everyone in the synagogue is looking at him. And then he says, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And if you are a Jewish person, if you're a religious Jewish person, your brain just exploded. You were like, what are you talking about? That, is, that happened, and it, Elijah, at the end of time, is going to be that person. And Jesus says, no, I am the person. You see, Jesus fulfills our deepest longings. All the way back then, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus begins to fulfill our deepest longings, right? He says, He comes with power, and He comes with purpose. He says, all of those marginalized people, all the unclean people that you don't want to deal with, I have come to proclaim good news to them. I am bringing good news. They're longing for being on the outside of the kingdom of God, seemingly on the outside, not recognizing that they have God's favor and vision right on them the whole time. Jesus says, I am that person. Jesus fulfilled their longing way back then. He began to usher in the kingdom of God. So this thing that one of the the commentators said about Isaiah is actually true about Jesus. And I want to read that again. Through the suffering servant, this is now Jesus we're talking about, the King, God Almighty, will make a covenant family of all nations with hope for a renewed creation. God's servant is who's going to fulfill God's mission to restore the people of Israel back to their God and be a light to the nation. And what's so incredible, if you didn't know this about the book of Luke, the book of Luke is also paired with the book of Acts. Those two books together tell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ showing up first to the people of Israel, but ultimately right to spread to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. The whole focus of the author of Luke is saying, listen, this gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people, to be a light to the nations. And that's how most of you, I mean, Chad and I, because we're Jewish, we are part of the original deal, but the rest of you get grafted in because of that. So Jesus fulfills our longing back then, but here's what's incredible that Jesus actually fulfills our longing now. And I know, especially if you're in a season of grief and of suffering and it feels hopeless, you often feel like you have no agency at all, right? The people of God back then, right, just felt like they just had to sit passively waiting for God to show up and do his thing. Well, what's incredible is that Jesus fulfills our longing now, right? So read this passage, read this uh, commentator's quote one more time. Through the suffering servant, the king will make a covenant family that's now all people from every part of the world, of all nations, with hope for renewed creation. God's servant who's going to fulfill God's mission through you and through me to restore the people of Israel back to their God and be a light to the nations. You see, even in this moment of suffering and of grief, Jesus actually fulfills our longing now. He meets us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He meets us through the hands and feet ministry of the people of God. We pray our guts out for God to show up and minister through the Holy Spirit. But here's what's wild. You, as a follower of Christ, are actually the answer to somebody else's prayer. You have been given agency. You have been given, um, you know, to the proddings of the Holy Spirit to go and to put into effect the kingdom of God. Scripture doesn't say that we just are people who worship God and we pray, but we are co laborers with Christ. We work alongside Christ for his purpose and for his ministry. And what I love is I, this idea of grief and suffering, we think as Christians we shouldn't experience it, but grief and suffering actually is the marker that this is not the way the world is supposed to be. When we experience grief and suffering, we go, this is not right. Everything in our body knows that this is not right, and it points us to the hope of restoration, either now or in the future of Jesus Christ. And I'm not gonna lie, because of COVID but shutting down the church. I mean, last night seeing everybody's face, I loved, loved seeing everybody's faces and I broke all the rules. I could not help myself. I just had to elbow touch every single person because I love our church. I love our people. And the fact that we're trying to keep everybody safe for the long haul, we're shutting everything down, which I think is all the right things. But in my heart, I'm so upset about it. But what's so interesting is I am for sure a person of hope. And if we have to shut down for one month, for six months, we have to wait all the way until everyone 100% is vaccinated. I actually don't care if it's a year from now. I would care if it's two years from now. Because I know that God is alive and active In Marin County, I know that God is alive and active through this church. And I know that we are going to be sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And we are going to be prepared to be the co-laborers of Christ to bring hope to those who are in grief and who are longing and who are trying to make sense of their broken and destroyed lives after all of this. Our church, individually and corporately, that's what we are going to do because Jesus fulfills our longing, not just then, but He fulfills our longing now. And ultimately Jesus fulfills this longing forever. Again, I love this quote. I'm gonna harp on it one more time because I think it's so incredible. Through the suffering servant, that's Jesus Christ, the King, God Almighty has made a covenant family of all nations, all people groups, all classes, all races, all ethnicities, right? That picture of Revelation seven or Revelation nine, all of them gathered around the throne room of God with hope for a renewed creation and God's servant who's going to fulfill God's mission, he will restore the people of Israel back to their God and be joined by all nations and tribes are surrounded by the throne room of God, where we praise the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I just want to end my time reading the, the Revelations chapter 21. And I, I'm thankful for the author of Revelations because he kind of sums up Isaiah, which I can barely get through because I'm not smart enough to understand all the prose. But Revelation is actually the book of Isaiah fulfilled. And chapter 21 is the picture of the new hope, of the new Jerusalem, of the suffering servant coming and establishing his kingdom fully on earth as it is in heaven. And check out this picture. This is what we are aiming towards, both now and forevermore. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven And the first earth, which we're living in, have passed away with all of its suffering, with all of its hurt, and with all of its pain. It says there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from the heaven of God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. He will tabernacle with them. God's intention from... Eve from the Garden of Eden to the tabernacle from Moses to the Temple of Solomon to being fulfilled finally. He will dwell with us. It says they will be his people and God himself will be with them and they will be his, their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye for there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And they said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And for those of us who are living in that middle space and for those of us who desperately need for the God of the universe to wipe our tears and to comfort our pain, we long for that to be true. And in this middle ground, we beg for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to comfort and care the brokenhearted, care for the brokenhearted We long to be the church, to be the hands and feet, to be the physical representation of God's care for the brokenhearted and for the outcast. Because our hope is in Jesus Christ. Isaiah had no idea that Jesus was coming, but Jesus took the mantle and it was hope then, it's hope now, and it's gonna be hope forevermore. Amen and amen. Well, as our tradition during the Advent season the tradition of the Christian church is to light candles, to symbolize movements of God. Um, and this, this morning, we're going to light the second candle. And so I get to be joined by Kyle and Araceli and their son, Isaac Heffernan. And uh, we're going to light the candle together. Oh, I did this in practice. I forgot again. Sorry. I need my Bible. I was just giving you guys time to get situated. All right. Well, this is the second Sunday in Advent, and this is the candle of longing, for where we long for the kingdom of God to be made known on earth as it is in heaven. And so I wanna read once again from Isaiah chapter 61, for it was a verse that was written in prophecy for the people of Israel before they were even sent off to exile, but it was a verse for comfort for them. It was a verse that Jesus embraced for himself as he began his ministry. And it's a verse that we as a church lean into now until Jesus fulfills all of this at the end. Chapter 61 verse one says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim that the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, so to comfort all who mourn. And may all honor and glory be to our Lord Jesus Christ as we light the candle, recognizing that we do not long in vain, uh-oh, but we long for the hope of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's stand together as we worship.